Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Guys, you know the Bible says that we are to give honor where honor is due. And so can we just honor our moms this morning and thank God. You can do better than that. I said you can do better than that. We love you, moms. Love you guys. We would not be where we are without you. Literally. <laughs> so, men and children, that means that today you need to rub mom's feet. You need to give her the remote control. You need to let her pick where you go and eat today and anything else that she wants because she takes care of you the other 364 days out of the year, right? So, well, hey, uh, I'm excited. We are honored that you would be here with us, joining us uh, for this Mother's Day. And I can just tell you that you're in for a treat today. We have something special for you. Next week, we are going to continue in our All In series. But today, you are going to receive something that you have not had in 490 days. That is one year, four months, and five days. Because it's been since January the 9th, 2022, that my wife has been up here and spoke behind this pulpit since she's had her surgery. And today, she has a word from God to share with you guys. And so can you welcome my beautiful wife, the First Lady of Destiny Church, the beautiful mother of my three kids. I could keep going on, but I love you, babe. Uh, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. So did you guys like that wall out there? Okay, I need you to take pictures in front of it. I can honestly say that blood, sweat, and tears went into it. Um, Jacob and I sweat putting the wall up. Chris and I sweat putting the arch up. I cried this morning when it fell apart. And I slashed my fingers putting it back together. So I need to see everybody post a picture today. My heart needs that. Um, so happy Mother's Day. That's my gift to you. Um, so I wanted to start today with a few laughs. Just because laughs are good medicine, right? So I collected these memes throughout the year. These are some of my favorites. That moment when you hope your kids sass will help them lead a company and not a gang in prison. I don't know about you, but I've thought about running away more as an adult than I ever did as a kid. So true. Sometimes success is just getting the laundry into the dryer before the mildew sets in. Just when you think you might be feeling good about your mommy skills, a trip to the store with your kids can put you back in your place very quickly. Whomever wrote easy like a Sunday morning obviously never had to get a child ready for church. So moms-to-be tip, enjoy going to the bathroom in private. Turns out it's a luxury. Now this one's for uh, the kids in the, in the room. Having a daughter is like having a little broke best friend who thinks you're rich. I have three of those. Research shows that in 100% of cases, when someone says, Oh, no, she didn't. In fact, she did. Par 
one, this is for the kids, respect your parents. They had to do their homework without Google. And this one's for the men. If you ever want to know what a woman's mind feels like, imagine a browser with 2,857 tabs open all the time. And then men, never laugh at your wife's choices. You are one of them. <laughs> so on that note, let's pray. Lord God, Lord God, I just, I want to be a jar of clay that's empty today so that you're the only thing that pours out. Today is a dedication to your kindness. It's my hallelujah, my 10,000 praises to the one that my heart still aches for to the one I still can't get enough of after all of these years. And I pray that when we're all done today, the only thing that's remembered is you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So my message today is the kindness of God. I became a mother about 18 years ago. Um, I remember fresh out of, the, out of the hospital and weary from lack of sleep sitting on the edge of my bed in Roswell, New Mexico, looking at that little child and thinking, I'm never going to sleep well again. <laughs> yeah, having a daughter, having daughters, being a mother has taught me so much about life, so much. A week from today, my firstborn will walk the stage and graduate high school. It is true that the days crawl, but the years fly. I've been on my mothering journey for long enough now to have learned some things about mothers, daughters, and life. Some things I wouldn't have known without the ups and downs, the joys, and the heartache. For all of the effort and all of the pain, I wouldn't have missed it for anything in the world. In 11 days, I will have been married 26 years. Chris and I were both so broken and breaking that in those year, early years, we couldn't be much for each other. I never imagined that we would be here, that those two broken kids could become these two healed adults that help others heal. This marriage journey has taught me so much about forgiveness, sacrifice, and freedom for all of the work and the pain, I wouldn't have missed it for anything in the world. I have been in ministry now for almost as long as I've been married. It has been demanding. It has chewed us up and spit us out so many times. There were many times we didn't think we would recover from it. But this ministry journey has taught me so much about Jesus and about his bride. And I have fallen in love more and more with both all of these years. I wouldn't have missed it for anything in the world. I have been on a health journey now, unlike any I ever thought I would be on. It has been like a ride on a roller coaster, and not just any roller coaster, but if you've ever been on the Velocicoaster at Universal, the one that like is speeding downhill toward deep water, and there is nothing to hold on to. It's very much what it's felt like. I have screamed inside. 
I have cried a lot. I have won it off. Can I tell you that once I have finally settled myself, I have found some things that I never knew I needed to find. And I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but I feel a very familiar shifting. And I think one day I'm going to be able to say that I wouldn't have missed it because of what he did inside of me. I've found that this current journey has never been autonomous. It's just a part of the ongoing journey of my life. All of the pieces that God has used to weave a beautiful story that's dear to me. A beautiful, heavenly love story. A story that over and over again has looked like the Israelites up against the Red Sea. Stuck. Nowhere to go. No way out. But God. Every time. He always shows up. And he always does the unthinkable. I may have had to stand at the unparted sea longer than I'd liked. But the miracle always came right on time. And most often, it had more to do with what he moved inside of me. As I do a self-examination, I found some resounding commonalities in all the chapters of my story. And the greatest of them all has always been God. Faithful, loving constant and kind he's the god that never forgets he's the friend that is always present he's the father that always comes through he is the savior that without exception always saves my journey has taught me that my children alone are not enough my husband is not enough my vocation is not enough my health is not enough to fill me complete me, fix me, sustain me, or satisfy me. Every season has hammered this home, and there is a relief in it, because in every season, God has been enough. He's been all I need. He's been the great I am, exactly what I need when I need it. As a six-year-old, the little girl me, scared, lonely, and hurting, found God in the back of a portable building in a Sunday school class. He had been wooing me, and I finally realized it was him. And it has never stopped being him. In all of the bends and the turns and the cities and the states and the highs and the low, it's always been him. When I started having eye issues over six years ago, and they grew in intensity and mystery, I found that life doesn't slow down for us to learn our balance. When that landed me on some pretty strong medications, while Chris was at the same time having his own medical difficulties, I found that the enemy knows how to push all the buttons. When Chris was becoming less and less able to cope with life, I learned that the enemy is no respecter of our feelings. When I was trying to hold everything together, I learned that when it rains, it indeed normally pours. Sometimes monsoons with sheets and sheets of sadness. But I also learned that only Jesus can hem us in in such a way that nothing gets overlooked. We can lose function in our natural eyes and still see God. We can lose our balance and still find that he is our center. When Chris and I whittled a wedding um, message down as much as we could so that he could get through it because his words weren't coming easily anymore and he wasn't understanding things. 
when we cried together over the upcoming service and his anxiety over it and my anxiety over his anxiety. When he woke up the next morning and he couldn't remember how to tie his tie. When I sat in the audience with my sunglasses on, fighting the tears and begging God to help him get through it, I unknowingly told God that God that Chris could have my speaking ability if he'd just get him through it. I learned that you need some internal oil reserves in order to make it through such difficulty. Pastor Jerry talked about that last week. If you did not listen, you need to go back. It's everything. If you haven't spent time with the Father before trouble comes, you'll be sorely unprepared when it does. When I was hanging in the balance, between losing my hair to cancer or my voice to a tumor that needed removed, I learned that tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. I learned that my days are, nor are numbered, each also treasured by my father, who watches over them until they reach their completion. When I came out of surgery out of whisper, but alive, I learned a purer worship than I'd ever experienced. My room was thick with it, I could not contain the emotion for the weight of his presence. When I started losing my hair in handfuls, I learned that the people I loved most valued most a beauty that can't be seen with eyes. When I could no longer minister the way I used to, I found that children in the nursery are just as important as standing on stages even though they don't get the same attention. When every scary procedure that the doctors described had to eventually be done, I found I'd conquered every fear. That fear was losing its hold one day at a time, one year at a time. And this fall, I'll conquer the last procedure when they put in a permanent implant so that I'll have a consistent voice. Ann Voskamp said, that which tears open our souls, those holes that splatter our sight may actually become the thin, open places to see through the mess of this place to the heart-aching beauty beyond, to him, to the God whom we endlessly crave. What if the very situations we despise are vehicles for our good and maturity? The Bible tells us that the goal of the Christian is to reach maturity and to bear the fruit of it, not just to find comfort and relief. We're all in this process. We are all constrained by some type of limitation that our season hasn't yet evaded, something that is meant to mature us. We are all in line for the transition. As we wait in the queues of life, do we waste what amounts to be the majority of our lives in defiance of what God is actively doing on our behalf? Do we kick against the goats meant to steer us in the direction of maturity? Do we misuse what's meant to mature us by letting it harm us instead? I've been asking myself these questions. Do we turn the best lessons into misery because we lose hope in a God that is kind? Colossians 1.5 in the message says, the lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack, tidally tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taut by hope. In this great big story of God, my story finds purpose, and that doesn't stop being true because of the things that I consider setbacks 
or detours. My purpose never grows slack if it's held taut by hope. The purpose is God's work and the hope is mine. He absolutely has a harder job, but for us jars of clay, keeping hope alive can be very difficult. A little later in the same chapter, Paul says, as you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. The only way to learn how God works is to trust him, to watch him, and to listen. Don't, to follow close on his heels like an apprentice observing each move of his teacher. Our teacher's ways are so unlike ours. So we have to stay very near to learn. Our work is hope. And I think the hope isn't in our story, but in his. See, our story is always going to be marked with the disappointment and limitation of this world. His will always be grand. When we find our story inside of his, our gaze and resolve shift from us to him. When that shift happens, a whole new seed of hope comes alive to life in our hearts. It connects us to our purpose, to Jesus, and to heaven. It is bigger and more secure than the selfish things we placed our hope in before. But our greatest difficulty is living in the tension. This is our human condition. We'll never fully get past it on this side of heaven, the great big grand story of God that we're all part of and the living in the world that falls sadly short of it. So what do we do? What do we do when we get the phone call? What do we do when we get the report? What do we do when the car stops working and the money's not there? What do we do when we lose someone we love, when we lose our job? How do we endure it? We keep hope taut. We settle in our souls that he'll never let go of his end of the line. We stand firm in the fact that he created us for a purpose and he will see it through to heaven. We hold on to the comfort that our God is not holding out on us. We rest in the truth that he's good and he loves well. Then we do our part. We tug on the line of hope as hard and tight as we can until we hear well done. We dig our heels into the muddy ground and pool like our lives depend on it because they just might. Hope is that important. The Israelites of the New Testament wandered in the desert for 40 days, 40 years. They woke up every morning with manna on the ground. God miraculously provided food for them to eat. They were instructed to gather only what they needed for the day. This too is our offer to taste and see over and over again, day after day, right in the middle of living, right in the middle of the tension. Even in the desert places, even in the dry places, God offers living water and daily bread for our spirits. It's in the place of communion with God that we find all we need for the day. Psalm 84, 5 through 7 said, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca, which literally means a valley of weeping. It's a hard place. It's a dry place. They make it a place of springs. 
The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. See, we too are on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey. We can turn it into a wasteland or a place of springs. This world may resemble a wilderness more often than, than not, but for the one that chooses to feast on what God gives daily, it can become a place of abundance. See, the scripture says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, a wilderness is just a place to pass through. Don't camp out and make a temporary layover a destination. Complaining and looking back turn a wilderness into a wasteland. It's easy to lose your way in the wilderness. It can be hard to find God, to feel found. We all need a healthy amount of grieving when the world steals from us. We all need to process. We all need to cry. God is not afraid of our tears. As a matter of fact, he counts them. He keeps them. We all need to process, but we have to do so under the cloud of his presence. We have to process with God, with his people, and with the word. And know this. Nothing about your journey is intended to be a wasteland. Our God is good. Our God is kind. What looks like a wilderness is the way to a greater promise. It just doesn't often feel like it. We can't always see it. Some days, we can't even imagine it. And I think the thing that causes a person to want to go back is a lack of hope for what's ahead. We've never been where we're going. And after years of wandering, it's hard to picture anything better than what we've known. We don't recognize that freedom isn't behind us anymore. So we inadvertently long for slavery. We wouldn't call it that. But anything that isn't God's will, that isn't his new thing, enslaves us. It holds us captive and it limits our growth. So we fashion idols to pacify us, to hurry up the process and to supply something to make us feel happy again. Idols, they're not fun to talk about, but we all do it. I think deep down, we all know that we have them, but we just don't like to name them. We have no snakes on sticks or cows of gold in our houses. But the lingering stakes left from what we've exalted above God dig into the heart and often get overlooked and excused. And we hold on to them as an anchor. But let me tell you, idols are both bastard and inept anchors. They will never do the job. They will never keep us grounded. And if there is an altar of worship in all of our hearts. When I take stock, I have to be honest and say that I'm the one on the center of mine most often. See, us people, us frail, weak, broken, breaking people, we think about ourselves first thing every morning and last thing every day and a million times in between. I am on the other side of every one of my fears what I want, what I feel, what I dream, what I expect. And every time I remove myself from center stage in my heart, I warm myself back up. Am I alone? 
I don't think so. But I've learned a hard-earned lesson. The same altars that are meant for worship are also places of sacrifice. The sacrifice becomes a fragrant heart's cry to the heavens. The problem is when we begin to worship what should be surrendered. So maybe that's where we need to be. Maybe it's where we should stay. Maybe I should never take me off the altar. Maybe it's the wilderness that teaches us to die. Maybe it's the way to freedom and the only way to the promised land. And in the process, the destination becomes the one who was always journeying beside us. Maybe there's nothing greater over the horizon than what he gives us in this moment. Maybe the incense that wafts upward from our sacrifice is what puts our selfishness to death and brings us closer to the Father. See, I've come to think that the root of any wilderness and bondage that leads to wastelands is not trusting God's kindness, expecting another hurtful blow, trusting his hand but not trusting his heart, embracing bracing ourselves for the hammer. Maybe it's time we see God as a loving father again. Or maybe this. God holds all the attributes of both a father and a mother. Maybe it's time we see the mothering nature in him. It's not uncommon for a child to be fatherless but motherless. That's not as common. The loving nature of a mother is fierce and faithful and protective. For everyone in the room today that maybe you've never had a mother, maybe you've lost your mother, maybe you're not a mother and you wish you were, let that wash over you today. God's mothering nature that looks on you with kindness, that sees you where you are, the way a mother gazes on her newborn baby, the way a mother protects, the way a mother nurtures, the way a mother sacrifices, the way a mother holds her children's hand and walks them the whole way. I'm going to give you six quick keys to journeying well today, to walking the whole way. The first one, trust God's kindness. He is a good, good father. He is the suffering servant. He knows. He knows your pain. He feels your pain. You do not suffer alone. He knows the way. His plan is good, but not in the sugary kind of good, in the asparagus and Brussels sprouts kind of way. It makes you hearty for the journey, right? He can see further than you can. He's going to make it worth it. Like Pastor Jerry said last week, learn to get oil. He has more than enough. Second point is hold someone's hand. Ann Voskamp said every covenant to each other is ultimately a covenant to suffer with each other. The hellish roads are the ones that suffer from lovelessness. We all need someone to suffer with us, to celebrate with us, someone to acknowledge our pain, our joy, someone to cry with us, someone that sees us in all of our weakness and breakage and still chooses to stay, someone that chooses love day after day, that loves even when the scars come and the hair falls out. Someone that knows our journey and chooses to unite their own limping walk with ours. Don't let life keep you from living. True living is loving. Life isn't comfort, ease, advancement, or arrival. 
in a busy world and busy life, life is stopping for what's most important, slowing down. Just this past week, life was building an arch with hope. It was teaching Paige to drive. It's painting Megan's high, um, college emblem on her high school skirt. It's conversations with mom. It's a church, not just a beautiful building, but a beautiful people. It's dinners with friends, speech days. It's the love of a good man who still smiles when he looks in your eyes. Life is the people we love. We all need people that it would be absolutely devastating to lose. That's a life worth living. That's a journey worth pursuing. The third thing is help someone else. With someone holding your hand, take the hand of someone else. We need to help. We were created for it. It is better than medicine. When I couldn't stand up in front of a group and teach like this, not teach children anymore, I went to the nursery, decided to serve them. When I couldn't stand on stages and speak to adults anymore, I decided to train leaders. When I couldn't speak at women's events anymore, I planned them and brought in speakers. Find somewhere to serve. Find someone to help. You need it. When life breaks your heart, giving can make it stronger. If we stop helping others, we stop helping ourselves. The fourth thing is do the next right thing. Don't stop doing all the things. It is too easy to give up. It is too easy to get overwhelmed and throw in the towel. You're not the only one. It is hard for all of us. All of us have days when life tries to paralyze us and keep us in bed. Get up anyway. Do it anyway. Keep holding the line. Keep the standard high. Get back up when you fall down. Say you're sorry when you lose your temper. Parents, get up every morning and be consistent again, even though you're tired. Face the things that hurt you so you don't use them to hurt others. Be present even when it's hard. Do the hard stuff because it matters. It all matters. Don't stop because he who endures to the end will be saved. That is whole person salvation, whole person prosperity, spirit, soul, and body. The fifth point is learn the lessons. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to what enslaved you. The lessons cost us something. Treasure them. Pass them on. Hold them close. And have the worship team come back up. I have given all of my daughters a notebook and a charm bracelet. And I call it my daughter's dowry. And each charm represents a different lesson that I've learned. See, I could give them all the wealth in the world. But it wouldn't be near as valuable as the lessons I've learned. Process your lessons. Ask God about them. Roll them around. Hold them up to the light. Look at them through all of the angles. Learn the lessons and pass them on. All of life is a classroom. We can read about it in black and white, but living, it has a way of making the lessons stick. Embrace the beauty of a lesson learned. And my last point, number six, live in the moment. 
None of us know what tomorrow will bring. But I can promise you this. God will be there. I've learned to only expect God. And that is more than enough for whatever the future holds. It is more than enough for today. Today is where God is. Right here in this moment. So slow down and be in it. He's right here doing a new thing. Celebrating Mother's Day with good people. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. What if where we are really is where God wants us to be? And it really is for our benefit. What if it's our perspective and our looking back that turn our present into a wilderness? Maybe one day we'll look back on this wilderness and instead of seeing the difficulty, we'll only see the doorway to new freedom. Maybe dying daily, putting myself on the altar has always been the key. See, only the kindness of God could give such hope. See, my firstborn is going to walk the stage in a week and graduate from high school. The only graduation from life is eternity. As an act of trust that God will carry you there, Sabbath today. Rest in him. Enjoy your people. Spoil your mothers. Then tomorrow, get up and trust God's kindness by doing the next right thing. Holding someone's hand. Helping someone. Learning the lessons and being present in the moment. And then do it again and again and again and again until you walk the stage of heaven and you hear well done. That's how we walk well.